the more that you try to take over in Mother Nature, the more problems that you're going to have to solve that aren't going to be balanced out by Mother Nature. Hey friends, I am here in Hawaii with my new husband, but I wanted to say aloha and I hope you enjoy this episode that Rory and I pre-recorded prior to us even being engaged. So you may hear me reference him as my boyfriend, but I wanted to, again, just let you know we are still on our honeymoon, enjoying each other, and we will be back soon. Enjoy this episode. Over 16,000 research studies on sodium lauryl sulfate have shown links to irritation of the skin and eyes, organ toxicity, developmental reproductive toxicity, neurotoxicity, endocrine disruption, and biochemical or cellular changes. This is one of the most common ingredients in laundry detergent. That is just one of many toxic ingredients found in almost all laundry detergents and cleaning soaps. What we wash our clothes and sheets with is just as important as what we put on our bodies and in it. And it plays a major factor in our internal and external health. It can affect our digestive system, hormones, immune system, and thinking, as well as skin issues. That's why switching to a truly non-toxic laundry detergent is so important. If you haven't heard of Truly Free Home, then listen up. Truly Free Home's non-toxic and eco-friendly laundry detergent is free from all thickeners, dyes, optical brighteners, synthetic fragrances, and other harmful chemicals. It's available in plant-based essential oil scents or entirely unscented. And every first order arrives with a forever jug that is BPA-free, and all future orders are refills, making less waste. Plus, you get free shipping. Truly Free Home is offering my listeners 300 free laundry loads and no subscription is required. Just click on the link in the show notes and get 300 free laundry loads and it will be automatically applied. Welcome back to the Digest This Podcast. I have Rory back and we're going to be talking all about plants uh, so if you are interested, just going to give you a little heads up, plants, uh, if you have a small space, what plants are best for small spaces, how to get rid of pests naturally, a non-toxic way, um, growing techniques, what's better, outdoor, indoor. We're going to just cover it all, especially, you know, fruits and vegetables. Obviously, um, a lot of people now are growing their own food. And so we're going to talk what types are best for you in your own environment, whether you live in an apartment or if you have uh, an acre of land. So we're going to cover it all. All right. So welcome it's back. nice to be back. A little more prepared this time, I feel like. No oh, one yeah? to expect. So a, a little background. Uh, Rory, can you tell us why you know so much about plants? I went to school for plant science and worked in the industry for almost 10 years, a few different companies, all kinds of projects for ranches, different growers, and just all kinds of different projects. And So plant science. It was my major focused on ethnobotany, which is the study of plants used by indigenous cultures for food, medicine, and clothing. Okay. So do you love it or is it just like... Yeah, I'm passionate about it. It's an easy thing for me to study and dive into anytime. Always been interested since I was a little kid. My mom's been a gardener and probably where it came from. 
Well, let's just go right into it. So is it safe to say that if something is not organic, it's just automatically sprayed with glyphosate? Like we just know that? No, glyphosate is usually used as a desiccating agent, mostly in wheat and grain, although it's been commercially used and now residentially used all around houses just to get rid of weeds. Uh, And now commercial crops, they are genetically modifying them to be like what they're calling Roundup Ready, so they can just spray everything with Roundup and the only thing that won't die is the crops that they want us to eat. So yeah, commercially it is becoming more and more common, but just because something's you know, not organic doesn't mean it's automatically getting hit with glyphosate. Chances are pretty good though. So what is, wait, what is Roundup Ready? Can you, I've never heard of that. Roundup Ready? Roundup is the, is the, uh, um, product with glyphosate in it, the most common one. There's a few different ones, but Roundup is the one, you know, you find at Home Depot, homeowners use it regularly. And uh, they just spray it all over their homes and gardens. And uh, it's it's a toxic poison. There's been tons of lawsuits. It's uh, probably the number one reason why people's bodies are having trouble recognizing the difference between food and poison because the food has been poisoned. And now that's just creating a huge, uh, just a huge mysterious headache for a lot of people, especially in the medical field, trying to figure out where all this is coming from. But Roundup Ready is the genetic modifications that they have done uh, and selective breeding and genetic modifications to plants so that they can spray Roundup and it won't kill the plant, but it'll kill every other thing around. That way it's just really easy to grow commercially. And then on top of that, like say for wheat, for instance, when they're getting ready to harvest, they want all the wheat to be the same height. They want it all to mature at the same time. They want their combines and tractors to pick up everything, not miss anything that's too tall or too short. So they they genetically engineer these things to be identical. They're all basically clones of each other. And uh, then when they spray them with that glyphosate, that's to just dry them out. That's just to take everything from growing to dead so that they can harvest it all at once and have it processed. So is wheat something you would say definitely buy organic? Oh yeah. Yeah. Wheat's Rice, grains, all grains, yeah. Grains, rice, wheat, uh, beans. Uh, yeah, no, beans yeah. is probably a good idea too. I don't eat very many beans, but... Interesting. Let's just say let's if you want to start growing your own food, where should one start? Uh, what if someone doesn't have a lot of space? Maybe they just have like a porch or like a little balcony or something. Yeah, patio gardens come a long way. There's some pretty cool inventions and ideas that... I've seen in the last few years, uh, like there's some ones they have at Walmart and different things you can find pretty easy. Uh, topsy-turvy tomatoes, like the upside-down ones, you can put those on any balcony. And it's just an upside-down plant. You put the plant in the bottom of it and water the top and it grows out upside-down. What? It's fun for kids. And yeah, it's like you can do that with strawberries, tomatoes, some squash. So it's at like a hanging plant, like a hanging tomato? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can do regular hanging baskets too. Upside down ones are kind of fun. Okay, so topsy turvy tomatoes. Mm-hmm. I just want to look for those now. Okay, hanging ones are easy for balconies. Those maximize your space. You can do some little boxes on your windows or something if you have handy skills and space for that. But what about those herb uh, things that I've seen? Countertop. Yeah, like countertop herb growers. Yeah, if you have nothing else, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's always fun, especially for kids and just people that are interested in it. If you don't have outdoor space, you know, some plants are better than no plants. What about um, if you have like a little patio, what about those mini trees? Yeah, those are good too. If you're limited on space and you want fruit trees and you have enough, there's some pretty cool ideas. They've come up uh, like Dave Wilson fruit trees. He's been developing over the last 
you know, 15 or 10 years, I've seen him really blow up. And uh, he has all like the dwarf varieties of fruit trees that you can plant, like multiple trees in, in one box, like a little four foot by four foot bed can have four trees in it and you can get fruit pretty much, you know, three or four seasons out of the year, depending on what you put in there. Wow. And how big do they typically grow? Uh, those trees are only going to get, you know, four or five feet tall, and maybe maybe two or three feet around. And it's mostly depends on how you prune it, but easy to maintain in that small area. So there you go. So if you do have a small space, there's definitely even fruit trees you can get and hanging baskets of <laughs> tomatoes and all sorts of things. Yeah. Edible landscapes. You can turn your yard into a garden that you can eat. That's something that we want to do. Yeah, we're working on it. One little plant at a time. What if you have a lot of shade? Are there any plants that thrive in in the shade? Yeah, there's plenty of plants that thrive in the shade. Uh, not a lot of them are produce plants, like for fruits and vegetables, but there are some, like ginger. There's some more shade-loving plants that are like more herbal. Uh, like if you have an herb garden, you kind of need some shadier spots if you live in a hotter zone like us, like cilantro, basil, you know, a lot of those herbs, they're just going to bolt right away. They're going to they're gonna make you a few edible leaves and then they're going to go to seed. So you want to put those in a cooler, shadier area, make them grow a little longer. If they get enough light, they're just going to mature right away. Okay. So those about, things I would focus on in the shade. Okay. What are root vegetables? What are those best? Uh, those are fall normally. Those are fall crops. And those are, in general, more sun. You need more space and sun, carrots, potatoes, sweet potatoes, you know, onions. Beets. Elk. Beets, definitely, yeah. Going to be a little cooler weather and those take some sun and space. Okay. So is it safe to say that most produce plants do need full sun? Yeah, the more sun, the better. You can get results without having full sun. And the best way to find out is just to plant some and see. And you'll get something and it's fun. But uh, they usually take a little longer and don't get as big. It takes a little longer to collect enough energy to, you know, finish their life cycle. Sometimes they make the nicest ones too, like a little soft carrot. It's pretty good sometimes. Okay, what if someone wants to grow like a pumpkin in time for October? When should they plant? Uh, yeah, check the variety. Different varieties take different times to mature. Uh, you're probably looking around July at the latest. I don't think you're going to get in too much later than that and get a big one for Halloween, but you have to look at the variety. They say on there, like, best to sow between these times for these zones and you have to look up your zone. You can look it up online. I think we're in zone like 11 or 10B or 11A here. Yeah, that just kind of went over my head. Okay. Zones, yeah, zones. You have the the whole world is broken up into grow zones, climate zones. And uh, Mm -hmm. here we are close to a Mediterranean climate. There's five of them in the world. Uh, The Mediterranean basin of Europe, South Africa, Chile, here in California and then Australia. So you can take plants from any of those places to any of those other places and they will grow. So a lot of people have done that. That's how you reintroduce, you know, different plants to parts of the world where they'll be able to work out. Oh, all right. So check your zone wherever you're listening from. Check your zone. All right. Um, So let me talk about, so a lot of people are probably aware that produce, there's indoor growing And there's obviously the outdoor growing of produce, like there's greenhouses and, you know, things like that. So I, I have a question I've always seen in, on packages, like it's marketed as outdoor grown, like that's a benefit. And then I've also seen (laughs) 
it marketed as indoor grown. Like that's a benefit. Like this is indoor grown. Like that's good. Like, so what is best? Outdoor, usually. If you can't grow outdoor and you're going to grow it, you can grow indoor and, and do pretty well. Um, like commercial companies, uh, big corporate companies growing indoor, uh, definitely not the best thing. You would rather have mother nature handling all of the balances and intricacies of of your food than, than a man in a warehouse, that's for sure. And the more, the more that you try to take over in mother nature, the more problems that you're going to have to solve that aren't going to be balanced out by mother nature. So you're going to have to bring in more chemicals, you're going to bring in more systems, more procedures to, to get that product. And it's not going to be a good of a product and it's going to take a lot more overhead. And yeah, it's just the, the more you cut out mother nature, the more that you're going to have to fill that gap and you're not going to be able to do it. And what about the, like the air and the oxygen, you know, cause I mean, obviously they're open, they have like vents and stuff, but like, I feel like indoor growing is not as fluent um, well, indoor growing just brings a whole nother host of issues. Like pests are going to thrive indoors. They don't have the balance of like the harsh conditions and the temperatures outdoors and the, the other uh, biological factors of predators and diseases regulating on them. So they're going to find this environment indoors that's just perfect for them to live. And then we're going to have to use chemicals to get rid of that. So it's just going to stack up petrochemicals, fake lights, all these things are going to equal a product that's just not very good for us. If you grow it yourself, you set up a little greenhouse or indoor spot because you don't have a lot of outdoor, you can use some natural stuff and choose what you use. That's that's a lot better. Yeah. You can get a decent product and enjoy that. You at least have control over that. Yeah, yeah. you can't trust Jeff Bezos to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and mold too, is that pretty... It's common. Common It's indoors? found everywhere. Yeah, and that's another thing too. Outdoors in nature, you're, you're going to see some spores. They're everywhere. They exist. There's millions of them invisibly around us but they're balanced out by the light, you know, like the UV light degrades a lot of that stuff and indoors you're not going to have that. So it's just, there's a balance God created outdoors that just exists all on mm -hmm. its own and we're a part of it. But when we eliminate that and try to take charge of it, and that's a inhuman job to be able to do. Um, I do want to talk about pests and fungus and how to naturally get rid of that. But before I do, I just really want to touch on, because um, I feel like we, just miss this topic and I'm sure it's important, but a lot of people overthink soil. How important is soil? Yeah, soil. So when you look at like organic versus inorganic growing, the plant itself really has no idea. Like the tomato you get off a plant doesn't know whether it's organic or not. Like you can eat it, it doesn't matter. It, unless it's sprayed with chemicals, the plant has no idea. So it just knows that it got some nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, and some other micronutrients. It doesn't really know where it got them. It just knows it has them. There's different forms of them, sulfates, nitrates, all kinds of them. And naturally in the cycle, we have a nitrogen cycle in the soil. So usually the plant's getting all this stuff from microorganisms eating and breaking down stuff in the soil and secreting these nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus, micronutrients, all these other different things. And the plant picks them up produces its, uh, you know, uses its metabolism to produce its fruit from those nutrients and we eat it. And that's organic. So then you have inorganic where you're getting some fertilizers applied to that that are already, uh, instead of having microorganisms break down these foods and secrete these, you have it done in a different process, whether it's a chemical process or a different kind of breakdown, using some microorganisms in a different way and then putting it on the plant. Plant has no idea. 
what happens is when we're doing enough inorganic or chemical fertilizers, instead of having that life cycle in the soil that balances itself out and over a hundred years continues to enrich itself and grow, now you have a degradation. You're continuing to apply salts, sulfates, nitrates, whatever it is, and that's killed all that biology now. The plant is still getting the nutrients. It's still growing, but the soil is dying. And over every season, you continue to do that. The soil is dying and dying more. The salts are going to build up, and then pretty soon it's not going to be able. There's going to be a lockout. There's going to be a chemical lockout of the plant and the nutrients. They've built up, and now there's uh, it's it gets into chemistry, but it's a cation exchange that can't take place. So you have to now go in there, put more chemicals in there to leach out all those soil stuff. It just becomes a crazy big headache, and it's dangerous. Now we have whole farming communities that have like dust blowing around. If we don't change this, there's going to be like just pollute like dust polluting people's air all over these farmlands around the Salton Sea. It's a good example of it. Yeah, it gets crazy. But um, but yeah, as far as organic and inorganic going, growing goes, uh, organic is definitely better. It's better to have a hand in it so you kind of know what's going on. And uh, yeah, just growing a few plants for yourself in your own backyard will really open your eyes to what it takes to produce some food. Yeah. And I mean... All of that science talk is is crazy. Obviously, you know a lot. Um, but what? Let me just ask this: uh, organic is that still sprayed? Yes, organic produce can still be sprayed. It just means it's not sprayed with usually with chemicals. And even those laws of labeling and organic and what's organic and not is still kind of confounded uh, with politics. So just because something says it's organic doesn't mean it's never been sprayed with even chemicals at this point. It depends on where it's coming from. But yeah, generally organic is a lot better. Uh, Stuff that is sprayed and is organic, there's plenty of sprays that are fine. Water is one of the best ones that I use. Cold, hard water early in the morning. And pests hate it. Pests don't like being wet or cold. And fungus and mold usually does, but if you change the pH so it's an unacceptable range, like 8.5 for powdery mildew, all you have to do is spray your garden and you're doing it always, you're watering anyway. So if you have control over your water system and you can pH it, pH 8.5 and cold, hard water in the morning, you just blast the leaves and plants with it as you water and uh, that washes the pests off, annoys them, stops their reproduction waters the plants so they get their water for the day and that pH kills all the mold. So it's pretty much the easiest, most organic pest control you can do. And it's water. Well, I mean, let's just get into it since we're already talking about fungus and pest control. What? So that's a natural pest killer. Um, What about like weed killers? And, you know, um, I mean, we pretty much already know that glyphosate and like all those other chemicals can cause cancer and like digestive upsets and you know all the hormone imbalances so what are some natural ways though to get rid of weeds starting from like literally the ground up uh your soil so if your soil has a lot of weeds that's a good indicator that it's uh, bacteria dominant soil bacteria dominant soil is going to have more weeds it's going to produce more weeds it's just going to that's the way it is. Uh, what you really want for cultivating crops would be a fungal dominant soil, and that's going to um, deter weeds but promote crops. So best way to start that is in the beginning. If you already have a garden, it's kind of hard to rip everything out and do that, but you can. 
Um, and it's pretty simple. You just start by activating the biology that you want, and that can come from wood chips normally. Some hardwood chips sprinkled over the top will get the fungus going in one season. And season after season, it'll, uh, if you do the right steps, it'll continue to grow into completely fungal dominant and you'll have a lot less weeds to deal with. And you don't need like a foot thick of wood chips. You just need to sprinkle some over the top. A lot of people go crazy and then put like six inches of wood wood chip based. (laughs) Yeah. And that actually creates other problems too. You just need to, you know, create an environment for that fungus to start and it'll grow under underneath the ground. Okay. Elaine Ingram is a lady, if you guys are interested in this, she's a, a doctor that retired and lived up right where I was living in Northern California. And she was doing the same thing up there. And I learned a lot from that too, but she has plenty of resources online. Elaine, Elaine Ingram. Elaine Ingram. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then what about natural remedies to ward off insects that are like eating your leaves and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. There's some easy stuff for that too. That's really, uh, um, it's just healthy and organic and not, not, a not toxic for your pets or it's actually good for your pets. There's one that's diatomaceous earth, little diatoms, little prehistoric uh, plankton like creatures that have fossilized. And now we can collect those fossils and they're, they just look like sand, but uh, it has really sharp edges on it. And when you sprinkle that all over your plants, insects that come into contact with it end up getting cut up and they die right away. They, uh, they don't have an immune system and their exoskeleton is their only form of protection. So as so, soon as they get a scratch, they get infection and they die. Okay. So wait, how, let's rewind. How is it good for your pets? Your pets also, uh, if you sprinkle this around, all you do is just take a bag of it. You want to wear a mask cause you don't want to breathe it and it is powdery. Uh, and you just sprinkle it over your garden, over your plants, on top of the leaves, under the plants, around them. And uh, you can just leave a pile of it. You can just dump some out in your backyard. If you have a dog that has fleas, ticks, or any any other pests, really, bugs, uh, kitties and dogs, they'll find that pile of diatomaceous earth and roll in it. They just know, naturally, they know to roll really? in it and it'll kill the pests. Yeah. And so, like, if you have a dog, are they going to eat it? They can, Um I've seen them do it. People eat it too. If you get the right stuff, it's really no big deal. Right. Well, there's, I know there's like food grade diatomaceous earth and then there's just the non-food grade. Yeah. I would just go to Home Depot and buy like the 20 pound bag that people put in their pool filter and I would just put on a mask and go throwing it all over my garden. It looked like it snowed on my garden after that. Okay. And I like, so, and that's okay if like a dog eats it. Dogs know better. They'll, they might lick it a little bit. And, They're probably uh, going to be like, this is gross. They'll roll in it. They'll figure out what it is and be like, oh, I'm rolling all over. Kill all the bugs on me. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. And you can, yeah, you can eat it too. You put a little bit in your oatmeal and get rid of your intestinal worms. Yeah, I know. Um, I think my dad was doing that for a while, the diatomaceous earth. But again, I want to make sure he was getting the food grade. Yeah, yeah. People, it's good that you clarify that. Don't yeah. buy the don't buy the swimming pool stuff. Don't buy the swimming pool stuff. Yeah, make sure it says food grade if you yourself are going to eat it. And of course, always talk to your doctor about it. Um Okay, so there's diatomaceous earth, but um, what about other things? Like I heard eggshells are one of them. Yeah, that's another good one. Slugs and stuff. Slugs, because uh, it's like sharp edges. They don't want to... Yeah, it's uncomfortable. And those also are good for the soil too. get some calcium in there. And the diatomaceous earth adds a little bit of that micronutrients as well, some calcium. I heard that some plants are actually good to plant around other plants because they detour like mice and like all that stuff. Yeah, you can... There's a lot of different stuff you can research. There's some pretty good resources about how to organize your your garden. And uh, if you have a slope, that helps too. Um, not everybody has like all the space and the different land features to utilize. But 
Um, but yeah, there's some pretty cool stuff out there. You can find out ways of organizing your garden to eliminate problems and accentuate, uh, you know, certain plants strengths and, uh, and just how to arrange it. You know, geraniums keep away pests, garlic, society garlic, you know, a lot of animals don't like that. Um, the Mexican lobelia has poisonous roots, but it's a common plant that has pretty flowers. So you can plant that around your garden in between stuff that, you know, gophers and rabbits are bothering and they'll stay away because they know that plant's poisonous. And we don't, that's no food value to us. So we don't really worry about being poisoned. Oh, interesting. So what, what's it called again? A Mexican lobelia. Mexican lobelia. That's one of them. Yeah. Okay. Firecracker plant. Uh, there's quite a few different ones, different things like that, that you can symbiotically plant together. Some of them are legumes that have like nitrogen fixing, uh, root systems. And you can plant those around other plants that, that can receive the benefits from that nitrogen. There's all kinds of stuff. Wow. It's fascinating. You go forever. Wow. And and then I just want to see, I've always seen like those fake uh, owls or like fake birds. Like, do those really work? Oh, they might work for a minute. Birds are pretty smart. If if that thing doesn't move for a couple of days, they'll be around hanging on it and stuff. Some birds are more sensitive than others, but yeah, those, I haven't seen those work too well. I've had a couple in my garden for years and I don't quail and doves and sparrows and Tweety birds all over the place. And they still, they still came around, huh? Oh yeah. The days are getting shorter and cooler, which means the holidays are coming. That also means flu season. The combination of chilly weather, less sunlight, AKA vitamin D and the stress of all the hustle and bustle of the holidays packed into three short months really gets to me. So I especially load up on all the immune supporters in the last part of each year, one of which is Further Foods Ultimate Immune Support, which contains vitamin C, D, and E, zinc and elderberry, plus 18 different herbs and mushrooms known to help support one's respiratory and immune function. I've been taking this for about two years, and I love that I don't have to incorporate other supplements because this is packed with the essentials. Further Foods Ultimate Immune Support is a doctor-formulated all-in-one immunity booster with 27 of nature's most potent immune-boosting ingredients. I also love that there's no silicone dioxide or unnecessary ingredients that you'll find in most other capsules on the market. It's free from common allergens such as soy, corn, dairy, and gluten. And if you want to try Further Foods Ultimate Immune Support, use code LILSIPPER to receive 15% off your order. Or you can receive 25% off your first order if you subscribe and save. So just go to furtherfood.com and use code LILSIPPER. That's furtherfood.com and use code L-I-L-S-I- P-P-E-R. I'll also provide a link in today's show notes that will take you directly there. What about leaf curl? If someone has fruit trees and like if you ever see the leaf and it starts to curl, mm-hmm. um, that's is that a type of fungus? Uh, it could be a couple different things. Usually that's a pest, like a like a psyllid, like a like a there's a psyllid to tiny insect, kind of hard to see that can cause that. Generally, in my opinion, that's what's done that. Um, there's other things too that could, there's, I'm sure there's a disease or, you know, a symptom of some disease that looks like that too. I don't know right off. 
Okay. But yeah, generally that my first treatment would probably be diatomaceous earth or spraying like an oil. There's a lot of good horticultural oils that are natural. Neem oil is one of them. I don't really prefer that one, but a lot of people, you know, like that one and it's easy. Okay. And then what about like just dish soap? Oh, dish soap works too. Yeah, dish soap. That's going to be like another insect one if you're sure that it's an insect. Uh, again, that's just like um, going back to like the biology of the insects. They, they have that exoskeleton. Same thing. Dish soap is just going to really dry them out and crack them. So they get that little crack in their exoskeleton. They get mm. an infection right away. Interesting. So you probably want to use like a a non-natural dish soap, I'm assuming. Um, yeah. Only because like if you, when you say it dries them out, like that's pretty much the non-natural. When I use like the yeah. essential oil dish soaps. It yeah, that's not going to do it as moisturizes well. Moisturizes my um, Yeah, you're going to, unfortunately, you're going to want some Dawn or something. Some Dawn that. dish soap, you yeah. The one with the little duck on the. The one with the, du- with the duck, okay. But as far as essential oils go, that's one of my favorite things to get rid of like hard pests. I just remember that like spider mites. Those are a really hard one. And uh, certain types of spider mites, like the russet mite, that's an incredibly difficult pest to get rid of. One of my favorite things that I figured out on that was like uh, peppermint oil, cinnamon oil. Uh, you can just do a mix of those type of things. And people have made their own over the years too, like with peppers and onions and chopping them up and soaking them in water and spraying that. So... Okay. Yeah, there's all kinds of natural essential oils and mixtures of things that work pretty well. All right. You just got to use it a lot. It's not going to kill it all in one dose. All right. Well, so let's let's just say like, okay, we have our garden, we have our trees. Let's talk about like pruning. Can you prune too much? Yes. Especially if a tree is too young or too old. There's a 30% rule normally. You don't want to take more than one third of a tree's vegetation. And then different trees have different habits. So like apple trees and those type of trees, you don't want to top them. You don't want to cut that central growing stem unless you know what you're doing and you're deciding to do that, you can, but that'll really stifle the tree's growth. So if you want a nice big tree, don't do that. If you want a backyard tree in a four by four box with two trees next to it, then definitely do that. Okay. And there's a time of the year that's the best to you. It's usually before winter or in winter and uh, when the tree is more dormant. You can do some spring pruning too though. It's just a little lighter. Okay, so if you have a smaller space, you should just kind of keep it maintained you have back. To. Yeah, yeah, you have to. You have to, yeah. <laughs> Here's a, a funny story. So I started planting like some like vegetables and things in like squash and different things in my garden. And Rory, <laughs> I'm like inside and he comes in and he like shows me that he picked like the first crop and it wasn't, <laughs> you're smiling. It wasn't like fully grown, at least to my eyes. And I like, I was like, Roy, what are you doing? Like I was waiting for that to like mature and grow. And that's the first of the, of the crop. And you, you picked it before it was mature. And I was like freaking out, um, over like this stupid squash. Anyways, um, tell me about why you did that. Because there was a reason why you picked it before it actually started to mature. Yeah, it's it'll promote the plant's growth. Like the plant, it's the whole idea the plant has is to reproduce. And the whole reproduction of a plant comes through a fruit with seeds. So it's going to produce vegetative growth. Seed will sprout and it'll start producing leaves so that it can absorb some sunlight, some roots to absorb some nutrients and moisture. And then its whole goal is to produce a fruit with seeds so it can have offspring before it dies. So that's its whole thing. Its whole, you know, MO is just to produce some seeds and then die. Then as soon as it starts producing seeds, it's going to feel like, okay, I'm doing it now. I'm here. I'm, I'm getting there. And sometimes they don't produce a lot. They'll just produce like a little, 
you know, frankly, little fruit doesn't really look like it's kind of stagnating and all the other plants around it, you'll see them, okay, some are going more, some are going less. Uh, well, yeah, just go in there and pick all those off. Just pick off all those little weird ones that are starting or even the ones that look like they're doing well and it'll just send the plant into the... the the, um, like a reproduction mode or something? It'll send it to a mode of producing more vegetative growth. It'll be like, okay, oh, I was going to produce some fruit with seed right there, but that got taken away. So now I got to ramp up production, put out some more blossoms and budding sites so I can have more chances to get a fruit. Uh, something's coming and eating them. I got to make more. Okay. So the, yeah, pr- a lot of plants need that, especially trees like citrus and those things. They can get heavy laden with fruit. If they don't get picked, they'll just, it just goes bad. It's head, heavy on the tree and a lot of energy it takes to keep holding itself up and producing more. Okay. So when it's, so I guess you should probably pick the first crop before it actually starts to mature to kind of. Yeah. Especially if you notice it's going slow. If you just notice it's going slow and the other ones around it are kind of going a little faster. Yeah. Just pick some, pick some, pick whatever it has off and it'll. See, off, and yeah. that's why I got so mad. I was like, this is like the only one that this plant is producing and you picked it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I get apparently he knows what he's doing. So And the plants, you know, it's an experiment too. You know, not every time you see something happen is gonna happen, you know, every other time you see that opportunity. So it's plants. And they're gonna be some that take off, some that never do, and no matter what you do, you just get a chance to see how they respond. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to see things grow and then the ones that don't grow, apparently. I won't mention those, but we have (laughs) some uh, ones that are not doing so well. Maybe it's just the climate or the plant, I don't know. Yeah, if you're starting out a garden and you want to grow cucumbers and tomatoes or whatever, get three or four different kinds and plant them all. And you'll see, you'll see one that like, oh, I love this one. It takes off, it loves it, doing great. And you'll see, oh, that one over there, it's struggling. It's small and just doesn't like it here. And, you know, so you'll see what varieties do better. Some have big plants and not a lot of fruit or a big plant, but it has a lot of pests. And some are smaller, but had great fruit or didn't have as many problems. Just focus on those. Look what works for you. Next season, you know, eliminate the ones that brought problems and focus on the ones that made you feel good. About yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to rewind a little bit because I have um, actually a fun um, little topic on the radar. But um, before we get to that, so about if you're planting, like you can obviously plant from seeds, right? Or you can go to the um, the gar- uh, what what is it called? The nursery, right? The <laughs> the garden. You can go to the nursery and they have like little plants that are already starting, right? Um, So if you're going and you're picking pre-developed plants to put in your garden, what should you look for when you're buying those? Yeah, I would just check the roots, make sure they just like have a nice white color, look healthy, and they're not root bound. There's not like too many roots in whatever container they're in. Okay, Um, so you don't want to see a lot of roots in those. You want to see a good amount of roots. You just don't want to see it... uh, like the roots getting girdled by themselves. So like going around and around and kind of running out. Some plants really don't care, but squash, they if they get to that point, they're not going to take off again. You kind of need those to have uh, just momentum and, and space as they grow. But a lot of plants don't really care, you know, like tomatoes, you can get a root-bound tomato. If it's not too far along, it'll be all right. All right. What's your favorite fruit tree and what's your favorite vegetable? Um, favorite fruit tree. Hmm. I like apricots a lot. I had to say that's probably my favorite fruit and vegetable. 
This is a fireball question. Yeah, what? I mean, come on. I'm a steak and potatoes guy, really. So I guess... <laughs> Potato? I, I don't know. So it's a boring, isn't it? It's boring. Okay. Well, okay. So we have some like... We were talking uh, earlier, Roy and I, and we were share, We were saying like how amazing God created the different like food that he put on this earth and how they actually benefit the body and the ones that benefit our body are actually, they look like that body part. I'm sure maybe you guys have heard of this already. Um, is there a name for this? I can't remember it. It's like the signature of something. I can't, there's a term for it. Right. Um, so let's go, let's just kind of go through some um, that like, for example, walnuts, they look like a brain and they're, they're good for your brain. Um, so what, what else? Kidney beans and kidneys are a big one because I only have one kidney. I always think about that. You always think about that with your one kidney, yeah. Yeah, carrots and eyes are like the retina and iris. You can see the cross-section of carrot. That's like one of the coolest ones. Yeah, like so if you cut a carrot, right, obviously not looking at the whole thing, but and you're looking at the cut, it looks like an eye. Mm-hmm. And their carrots are great for your eyes, as a lot of people know. Mm-hmm. So what about blood flow? Mm-hmm. What What's good for blood flow? I know grapes are good for blood. They look like blood cells. Wine is good for your heart and blood. It's- a little wine, not too much wine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know beets are good also for blood flow, especially um, for women on their cycles. Yeah, one time um, my dad ate too many beets and drank the juice and woke up in the middle of the night thinking he was having a kidney problem. Oh no, he was freaking out. Yeah, if, if you've never like had beets before, or, like your first experience eating beets, like you'll know yeah. within a few hours. And I go right through you. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, ginger? You were telling me about ginger. I didn't know this. Yeah, ginger is good for um, some female reproductive stuff as well as your tummy. Just ginger is good for your stomach. Stomach, yeah. Okay, so that, I mean, it's good for your stomach, but I didn't know it was good for your reproductive organs. And then mushrooms. What are mushrooms good for? Um, so many things, depending on the mushroom. Uh, yeah, your brain as well. As a, yeah, it just depends. All, all kinds of mushrooms, different things. There's actually some that are good for your breathing and your blood as well. Mm. Now that I'm thinking about that, cordyceps. Oh yeah. Okay. Nervous system. Mm-hmm. Definitely nervous system. Yep. Brain. Yeah. Lion's mane looks like a brain. That's also good for your brain. We get mushrooms have like their whole own thing. Yeah. Lion's start mane. Thinking they are they like crazy looking brain. Mm-hmm things and then the banana oh yeah the banana the banana we were we, we were laughing about this no pun intended but it's good for your smile yeah um so if you take the banana peel and you rub it on your teeth it's supposed to help whiten your teeth yeah i never would have known that and a banana looks like a smile mm-hmm. and it's white yeah and then celery oh yeah bones and it looks like bones yeah, okay. So that's good for your bones. Um, I'm not big into the celery juice. You guys, my followers know like celery, like you could do maybe a shot of it, but if you drink too much celery juice, that can actually cause a lot of cramping. But uh, again, that's like the juice extracted. If you're eating the entire celery, you're getting the whole mm-hmm. fruit and not just a part of it, which is beneficial. That's how you should eat anything is the entire thing. Yeah. And then aloe vera. We all know that's great for your skin. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it look, it looks like it does look like skin. Skin. Yeah. Good for your inside skin and outside skin. Yeah, that's true. So those are just like a few things, but I just think that's so cool. Like 
Anyways, yeah. I know there's there's so many more. Uh, oh, there's the papaya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't forget about that one. Uh, that's good for your tummy, but it's also good for a female part, which the papaya looks like. So <laughs> we'll just leave, we'll just end with that. But um, yeah, so super fun, super cool. And um, I just think, yeah, growing plants, it, if you start growing your own plants, you'll definitely notice. I mean, I personally have noticed the difference in taste and just how they look versus even buying organic, you know, like you were saying, Rory, like they're still sprayed. Mm-hmm. When you grow your own, you're not spraying anything unless you, unless, unless you are. Unless you know, and you'll know what it is. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's really, really fun. So if you do have a spot, even if you just want to grow like one plant, you know, one little tomato plant or something, it's really fun to see everything, um, Grow and yeah. look up a fun way to do it. Upside down plant, hanging basket plant. Build it in. Uh, make it make a little bucket thing. You yeah. can make a hydroponic thing if you want to make it fun or different. There's so many. Wait, different wait, things. what? A hydroponic? Yeah, you can make a little hydroponic bucket and just grow one plant in it. YouTube. YouTube. Okay. So many different things. Doesn't have to be plugged in. You can just have a little wick going down to a reservoir of water underneath a bucket in a bucket. It'd be pretty cool. It's pretty fun. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining and uh, listening in. So hopefully this helped you uh, decide if you are wanting to grow or if you are growing, it helped you with maybe some pest problems. And thank you so much, Rory, for coming on again. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you. All right. I will see you guys next time. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It helps get this show into more ears. And I really appreciate your support. That is the best way you can support the show. So take a moment and rate and review. And again, I always appreciate all the love and support. And I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Digest This. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McComb. To email the show, message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first.